0: When Canton native Deacon Matthew Kurt was a kid, he knew without a doubt what job he wanted.
1: I'm going to be President of the United States.
0: He hit his first roadblock, early.
1: When I was in third grade, my great aunt said that she wouldn't vote for anybody who didn't have military uh, experience.
0: No matter, the future President Kurt could afford to delay his career by a few years.
1: So I was going to go to West Point um, and uh, be in the army, and that was going to be my military experience.
0: And for the following eight years, it seemed like a great plan particularly because it was his only plan. But you know the drill, man plans, God laughs, and come senior year of high school,
1: I didn't get into West Point.
0: Like many dreams of little boys, his didn't come to fruition, but it didn't completely die either. It evolved. His former desire to lead the nation with diplomacy, integrity, courage, and a strong vision became a gnawing desire to lead the church with these same values. The plan to serve the nation and the army with their core values of loyalty duty, respect, selfless service, honor, integrity, and personal courage became a yearning to serve the military as a chaplain who cultivated these same values, though with a decided focus on the salvation of souls. His growing call to the priesthood didn't make his military dreams an impossibility, they married them. Today, he is one of two Sacred Heart Seminarians studying as a military chaplain candidate and the Army Reserve Unit co-sponsored with the Archdiocese for the Military Services. For the last six years, in addition to his seminary studies, he spent a weekend out of each month shadowing chaplains, attending mock counseling sessions, and spending summers on military bases for chaplain leadership courses. He's learned a lot about what it means to be a military chaplain.
1: Yeah, I think a lot, well, a lot of times, like a lot of the notions that you have of a chaplain come from the really cool images from World War II or Vietnam War where the chaplain is uh, celebrating Mass on the hood of Humvee and uh, doing really cool things. And, and we do get to do that, but there's also, you know, God works in the ordinary, too. And so at, at least in the reserves, the Army Reserves, a lot of the time it, it's ministry of presence. So it's walking around, uh, being with soldiers, doing what they're doing, uh, checking the Humvee, which isn't the most glamorous thing to do, but just making sure the Humvee's up and running, uh, gaining their trust by doing that, too. Uh, when they see you and they're, you know, you're willing to do the things that they're doing, you gain their trust and they're more willing to come to you um, with their hurt and their pain. And that's one of the things, too, as a chaplain, you know, you, you, a lot of stuff you're, you're doing is, isn't really intense, um, but all of a sudden you have to be on like uh, right away. Like there's an emergency and you have to be on right away. Like you were off before, like you were just hanging out with people, and all of a sudden a problem came up and you got to be on and you got to be on top of your game right away. So there's a little bit of pressure in that, but it's uh, God. God provides the grace that you need for those moments. Uh, Pope Francis talks about smelling like the sheep. Uh, the shepherd should smell like the sheep, and so to be around soldiers so that way they see you and they begin to trust you. They become become more familiar with you. Uh, and it opens up the door for opportunities um, to help them in, in whatever they need. Because they're, they're not going to come to you if, if if you're just in your office with the door closed all day. Like They're going to find you to be standoffish and you don't want to be bothered by anybody. But if you're around them and you're willing to talk to them, then they're going to be willing to talk to you and, and bring their hurt and their pain and their suffering and, and their joys. Uh, To you as well.
0: Deacon Kurt is responding to a critical shortage of military chaplains. Catholics currently make up 20% of the U.S. military, but only 8% of military chaplains. Numbers of military priests have more than halved, down to a fewer than 200 from over 400 active duty Catholic chaplains 20 years ago. Those who are in the ministry are spread thin and across ever wider territories. Today on Detroit Stories, we speak with those who have had their lives changed by military chaplains and who believe it's an absolute crucial ministry. Welcome to Detroit Stories, a podcast on a mission to boldly share the stories of the people and communities in Southeast Michigan. These are the stories that fascinate and inspire us. Thinking about the probability of dying is something that none of us wants to face. No matter what we do, all of us will pass away one day. Preparing now is a great way to help our loved ones during their grieving process, and ensure our final wishes are followed. Our caring friends at the Catholic Funeral and Cemetery Services can help you. Visit cfcsdetroit.org or call 734-285-2155. The first day of deployment for Detroit native Lieutenant Colonel Michael Murray is a strong memory.
2: I had uh, I landed in Iraq on Fat Tuesday. So on Fat uh, Tuesday in February of uh, 2006, and uh, I was, just on an air base where we landed for uh just for less than 24 hours we were going to go by convoy uh to Fallujah that night and you land at you land in the middle of the morning two three in the morning because you come under the cover of darkness um and then you just kind of they give you a they put you on a tent uh so you can sleep and just kind of lounge around for the day before you're going to go to your final destination
0: murray who has served with the marine corps for the last 32 years Retires later this month.
2: Well, since it was Fat Tuesday, I decided I uh, I would go to confession because uh, Lent was the next day. But I probably was more uh, more worried about what might happen to me, so I wanted to make sure uh, I was in a good state. And I went searching for the uh, Catholic chaplain. There were a couple of makeshift chapels. It was a rather big base, and the chapel uh, the chaplain that eventually came in was uh, Tim Hogan. At the time, he was uh, he was not a Monsignor and uh, he introduced himself to me, and uh, he asked me where I was from, and I said Detroit, and he said he used to be a parish priest in Detroit.
0: This was Lieutenant Commander Tim Hogan, a priest and military chaplain who is now the pastor of St. Fabian's in Farmington Hills. At this point, Monsignor Hogan had been in Iraq for nearly a year, but was going to be retiring in the next year and returning to Detroit, where he would be assigned to a parish. They quickly made connections about people they had known, One of Michael's best friends from high school was a beloved parishioner of Monsignor Hogan's former parish. Monsignor Hogan mentioned his family downriver.
2: I'm looking at him, and I realize I see a resemblance.
0: Monsignor Hogan's sister was a beloved family friend who came to all the family functions. Furthermore, Monsignor Hogan had stayed at Michael's dad's pub in Ireland in the last year. The small-worldness was an immediate comfort to Michael, who felt all too far away from home, but also at
2: this point this is the last guy in the world i want to go to confession to because he knows my family right (laughs) so i'm like i want nothing to do with going to confession so i literally am like there's a group that was doing like a bible study in this little chapel i'm kind of like you know i go he's like well you want to go to confession i'm like you know what i'll come back and he's like no 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 hold on and uh he's like grab a couple chairs there were some folding chairs and uh, I go grab the chairs and I turn around and he has now opened up a he's opened up a door. Uh, and and I'm not kidding you. He literally rolls out a mop bucket and he's like, We'll go in here. It was a broom closet. I don't know if they used it as a makeshift confessional and the you know, it wasn't they what, they didn't have confessions planned. And um and and, and he's like he kinda you know, he puts his hand out like, All right, you go in first. And I'm thinking like, okay, I don't like face-to-face confessions, but this is clearly going to be a face-to-face confession. And uh, so we go in there, and that's where we did confession.
0: This is one of the foundational roles of the Catholic chaplain, as stated by the U.S. Archdiocese of the Military Services, to offer the sacraments, provide pastoral care, spiritual counsel, comfort and strength to those who serve and protect our nation. For Murray, this didn't feel like one of those weekly confessions. This one felt more imperative. There were high stakes he didn't want to think about, a possible reality that faced all too many soldiers in Iraq.
2: So in that confessional, um, you know, with the fear that I had for what was about, you know, I was going to be six months in Iraq, and, you know, we were going by convoy that night, convoys were getting hit by IEDs all the time, so it was a a powerful kind of time, and so when I got done, uh, Tim said to me, um, well, first of all, when we got in there, I sat down and Literally, our knees are touching. So I'm I'm completely outside my comfort zone here. I'm not I'm not I'm not comfortable at all. And uh, and Tim reached into his cargo pocket because you know we're just wearing the same uniform. We look exactly the same. And um, so he goes into his cargo pocket and he pulls out a stole, kisses it, puts it on, blesses himself, and then he then he does something that I think was was important. He said, uh, "Let's ask the Holy Spirit to enter this space." And I was kind of like, "Okay, nobody's ever said that before." <laughs> uh, and then it's like I, you know, he probably was 20 seconds, 10 seconds, but it seemed like a minute to me. And then he said, "Okay, begin." And then when I got done, he said, "All right, well, let's thank God for this this, uh, this good confession." And he said, um, "Is it okay if I put my hands on your head as I grant you abs- as I give you absolution?" And I said, "Okay." I mean, it's not like I. You know, he's like, okay. And if he did that, and it gave me absolution. So the heat of the Holy Spirit enters my, I feel feel this heat on my head. And it very quickly gets more intense. And as it gets more intense, it goes down my head, through my chest, and I can feel it go into my legs and out my feet. And I don't say anything. I'm just kind of like, what is going on? I'm kind of taken aback at this point, um, and we get up, we walk out, and uh, I remember feeling calmer, I remember feeling more confident, I remember feeling like, okay, I should be here, this is where God has tended me to be, and I'm going to do my part in the mission that, you know, I've been tasked with.
0: That night when Michael heads to Fallujah, his fear comes to fruition his convoy was hit by several IEDs.
2: Nobody gets hurt, but it just, I'm thinking like, oh, thank God I went to confession. God's watching over for me. I'm kind of feeling, I'm feeling safer and I'm not feeling feeling as fearful.
0: This right here, this life altering confession that was one of the most intense experiences of Michael's life is the typical call for each military chaplain every hour of the day. There's no reprieve in the rectory. There's no dependable schedule. It's a constant outpouring and accompaniment with those who are perpetually on the brink of life and death. With a revered military chaplain career such as his, active duty in the Gulf War, Afghanistan and two tours in Iraq, you would think that Monsignor Hogan's career was, like Deacon Matthews, the result of a years-long burning desire for service to one's country. But that wasn't the case. Monsignor Tim Hogan practically stumbled into his career after a raucous suggestion at a graduation party.
3: Well, what had actually happened was, um, in 1969, I graduated from high school and uh, there wasn't a lot going on. I was 17 years old, dumber than a rock, and, you know, what do you do? And in the midst of one of the graduation parties, uh, I turned to my friend and I said, let's go in the Navy. at the time, we were not in our right minds either, you know, so it was a graduation party and uh, uh, there was a little bit of booze that was flying there. But but with that, uh, the next morning, I, and I went down to the recruiting depot and, uh, and signed up.
0: One month later, he was on a bus headed to boot camp where he enlisted as a hospital corpsman. The boy that climbed on that bus was the product of a devout Catholic family, one of 11 kids, former altar server and soprano in the Gregorian Choir. He was a member of a family where Catholic devotionals and a daily rosary were the norm. He was also a fallen away Catholic. He spent the next four years as a hospital corpsman for the Marines on active duty. And somewhere in there, that changed. It was during these years that the self-professed dumber than a rock boy harnessed his natural empathy towards a future.
3: Re-engaging with my faith, uh, got to know, uh, you know, I started going to mass on a regular basis, and so forth, and and I just felt uh, inclined. Met a couple, a number of priests uh, that were there. They were great men, men of great faith, uh, great people to be around. Uh, very devout. They had, you know, strong faith life, and uh, the, very open, you know, to to whatever the needs were. That's where my call was came back, came back, all right, it, it reawakened.
0: It was one of those priests he met who sparked an interest for him in the priesthood.
3: Father Bill Holtberg was the one that said, uh, asked me at one point, you know, uh, you need to think about being a priest.
0: Thinking about it became being it, and becoming a priest made it seem as if the military was history. But that wasn't the case. After settling into his new parish assignment at Shrine of the Little Flower, and grew accustomed to his new life. But just as the priesthood was struggling with dwindling numbers, so too was the military chaplaincy. In 1985, the Archdiocese for Military Services wrote him a letter asking him to consider being a military chaplain because of the great need for Catholic chaplains.
3: I looked at the letter and I thought, well, I've already done this, (laughs) so yeah, I can do it again.
0: Doing it again was not exactly doing it again. This time, when he donned the camis, it was as a Navy chaplain, the cross badge on his shoulder. While before he had been stationed, this time he would be called to active duty during the Gulf War. While before he had been guided and mentored by countless religious leaders, this time he was the one everyone was looking to. He would have to be the one with all the answers.
3: I've always loved being a priest and I loved all my assignments. You know, Some have been hard, But that's where you really see the the Spirit of God kicking and moving. But the one that struck me the most, the most profound experience of priestly ministry, was uh, when I was in combat, because it was really the first time that I don't go back to the rectory and kick off the shoes and grab a scotch and watch TV or read a book, you know. It, we were going all the time. We had, we had convoys all the time, so at 10, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock at night, convoys going out. At 3 o'clock in the morning, the convoys going out.
0: They in the midst of offering confessions, masses, and Eucharistic adoration. They were spread ever more thinly among greater numbers of military personnel. All this as he tended to mass casualties in the shock trauma platoon, offered anointing of the sick to the dying, and made traumatic phone calls to family members of the deceased. In between the counseling sessions, spiritual guidance, prayer visuals over outgoing convoys, and the other duties on Hogan's robust list of to-dos, he managed to offer what he saw as the heart of his job.
3: A lot of it is ministry of presence at that time. You know, Yes, we've, we've got mass opportunity for that. and We had RCIA, we had to, you know, get young men and women that that wanted to become Catholic, they were interested in that. Um, you know, sailors and marines that would come, and and we'd have opportunities for prayer and, and so forth, uh, memorial services and and, and and other events like that. But a lot of it was ministry of presence, just walking through the ship and uh, and just being present to uh, to the men and women that were that were there, and uh, and, and just just to, how are you doing? You know, what, what's going on? And they talk about family these situations. and situations. So you pray with them and uh, you know, provide opportunities and provide resources, rosaries, prayer books, and so forth. And so a lot of it is just being there.
0: Hogan became a recognizable fixture among the troops. Like a talisman for the unbelievers and a reminder of Christ for those who did, he walked briskly from unit to unit with a mask kit in one hand or rosary perpetually dangling from his fingers.
3: You're constantly on the go. Uh, You know, we had units all over the place, and I would just move from unit to unit. And and I remember one night doing that, and we had very few lights on. Uh, Here in in Michigan, you have lights on at night and it attracts mosquitoes, right? Uh, In in Kuwait, when you have lights on, it tends to attract, attract rockets. So you have as few as possible, right? But, uh, but I came to this one uh, security position and, uh, and I was walking up far enough away that that I didn't, they, he couldn't recognize me. But, uh, uh, but he said to me, hey chaps, how you doing? I got up to him and I said, I'm doing fine. I said, how did you know it was me? And he said, Ah, uh, sir, we always know it's you because you have your rosary out all the time. And I said, Yeah, praying for your sorry butt, you know. <laughs> yeah, please do keep going, chaps. But it was just that 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 sign that was there, you know, that and it was a consolation.
0: Even those who weren't religious were drawn to Hogan, the peace he imbued and the compassion he showed.
3: You know, there are a lot of a lot of men and women that are just Ambivalent to their faith, and, and for a variety of reasons, you know, that uh, um, it wasn't important, it wasn't really fostered well. You know, sometimes bad, bad catechesis. A number of a number of reasons why. Um, but I, you know, usually in a in a in a very difficult situation, uh, if you know, to present yourself to them. Uh, they know that they see it and and they know that you represent someone that they're longing for in their hearts when we were going up to Iraq we were in Kuwait and, and heading into Iraq i had uh, one of my men from second uh, transportation support battalion we we were called red Patchers. we had red patch on our kevlar and on our on our uh, trousers and it was it was our part of our uniform and but with that uh the, he uh he stopped his his truck and he says uh, sir you know we're going up to iraq uh in in about a week are you going with us and so i climbed up uh, climbed up on his truck and i said uh i says double dog you see the patch I said oh, yes sir you see the one on the trousers? Oh yes, sir. And I said, that means I'm one of you, right? Oh yes, sir. I said, then I'm going with you. He said, Roger that, sir. <laughs> and that's all. And it wasn't a good luck charm. They wanted their chaplain. And that's the value of it, right there. They wanted their chaplain. Whether he came, I, I don't even know what religion he was, but he knew that I was their chaplain and that I was going
4: to be with them. He was always available for confessions. He would pray with the troops. Um, but more than that, he was also a naval officer.
0: This is Captain Julie Leota. She is a former combat engineer officer with the Marine Corps from 2003 to 2007. She met Hogan during her seventh month deployment in Iraq in 2005.
4: He was fully entwined in all that was going on on the base. Um, you know, one story I have is part of our job in Iraq was to build all the the housing that we lived in, these um, very rudimentary, we call them squaw huts, but they're essentially just, you know, uh, very basic shelters that we lived in. Um, when I was in Iraq, it was actually... Towards the end of the time that Father Tim was there, the chapel that was on the main side or the main part of the base where the headquarters unit was uh, got rocketed. Thankfully, nobody was there. Nobody was injured when when it got rocketed, but it destroyed the chapel. And after that, we had to, to build another chapel. And I had this ragtag group of Marines um we put them on the construction crew, like one squad of Marines, I think I had 12 guys out there. And uh, to my knowledge, none of these Marines um, were Catholic. Um, and to be quite honest with you, maybe this was the, the group of 12 Marines that I put them as part of this, this uh, construction crew because they never out went outside the wire. Their main mission was just building things on the base, Um, and to be quite forward, it was because we didn't trust them as much outside the wire, either there was competency level or uh, for other reasons, but we thought, okay, if if they mess up, the consequences are lower if it's just on the base, and so they're part of this construction crew, and uh, after the main site chapel was rocketed, we built another chapel And it happened to be that it was much closer to where Father Tim uh, was staying, where, you know, where his unit was. And so I have this group of 12 Marines. I said, we're going to, you're going to, you're going to build this chapel. And so every single day for at least two months, that was their assignment, was um, working on constructing this chapel And so they got to know Father Tim really well, because he was right there, and he, I remember he would even make coffee for them, which was a real luxury, you know, when we were out deployed. Um, The Marines noticed that I didn't call him sir, because even though he outranked me, I, I always referred to him as father, because as a Catholic myself, I was like, i I cannot call a priest anything but father, you know. And so before you know it, I noticed that the Marines started calling him father as well. And um, I remember that that chapel, the first mass that was offered in that chapel was on with midnight mass on Christmas Eve. And after we built that, um, all 12 of those Marines went to that midnight mass many continued to uh, practice their faith or, you know, come to the faith after that experience with Father Tim. Um, I had one Marine that was particularly, I remember when he showed up to us, uh, he was a reservist, kind of angry about, uh, I guess, being called up to, to deploy for such a long time. and, and, you know, we had a couple problems early in the deployment, and so he joined this construction crew. Incredibly uh, talented at at construction and building, and he was on the chapel project as well. And after that time with Father Tim, I'll never forget the day he came up to me and said, Ma'am, I would like to know if you would be my reenlistment officer," as that his experience with Father Tim changed his heart so much that he wanted to re-enlist in the Marine Corps. And that was nowhere on the table when that when that deployment began.
0: Much of Hogan's chaplaincy consisted of these ordinary moments of evangelization, commiserating and sharing a cup of coffee, but it was those ordinary acts of Christ's love that helped the soldiers know where to turn in the bigger moments.
4: The presence of having a, a priest to go to when you're quite literally dealing with life and death, with um, an enormous amount of responsibility, um, with fears, with hopes, with you're dealing with loneliness or missing the people back home or worrying about the people back home, and all the struggles that are involved in uh, young Marines and sailors' lives when they're separated from their families. Um, Father Tim was in the midst of all of that. It was one of the highlights of, frankly, my, my deployment, but I can't, I can't overemphasize enough what a gift he was, not just to me, but to our Marines, in um, my unit and the whole base.
0: Monsignor Tim Hogan is still in Julie's life. He married her and her husband, a Navy doctor who had also the privilege to work with Hogan. He baptized two of their children, and 20 years later, they still keep in regular contact. When Julie was deployed in the Ambar province in the western part of Iraq, Hogan was the only Catholic priest to serve the 11,000 service members on the base. He offered Sunday Masses, round-the-clock confessions, but he also traveled to the smaller villages where troops were stationed to offer daily Masses as well. Julie remembers that even during times when soldiers were in combat and couldn't easily come to Mass, his makeshift chapels were packed.
4: At the time, It grew my faith tremendously because it was the first time in my life when, like I said, we really had to deal with life and death with real loss, Um, with a, a sense of responsibility that's so much greater than you and yourself and your own capabilities. And basically the need for God is so ever apparent. And I will just never forget that Father Tim what came with him when he came to offer a Mass in the dark of night you know there's, there's no light blackout conditions you know the, 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 the Mass is just you know by a sandbag barrier the peace of the peace and really the power of the Eucharist there's nothing greater than that and it is a light that can pierce any darkness. I saw it happen. I saw it happen in my own heart, where I thought, I mean, to be quite honest with you." It's the one thing that that made that journey um, not just bearable. It made it so much more than that. It made it incredibly fruitful. Is that I saw the very um, life of the very life of Christ. Be meaningful you know um, when I was there um, through being able to access the sacraments in that environment and father Tim himself I mean was just like I said incredibly peaceful and yet real at the same time I mean he,
1: he
4: yes he's a, he is a Catholic priest but also he was a naval officer he was one of us he was putting his boots on every day just like we were and exposed to uh, whatever, the the risks involved with uh, operating in a combat zone as we were. And it just gave such one consolation and also confidence in, um, in the power of God. It changed, it dramatically changed my faith. And it was kind of a turning point in terms of the seriousness in which I... I saw my faith and the reality of God, and the reality um, of the power of God to transform even the darkest situations.
2: I mean, that was probably, you know, next to the, the body armor and, and the armored vehicles and the, and the protection that was afforded my physical body, that was probably the next most important thing for me.
0: This is Michael Murray again, speaking about the significance of the chaplaincy
2: because for me you know that was a transformational time in my life where my faith journey really went to a a much deeper level because you know um the thought of what might happen to me was was more real and I think when we get when we get to that place as humans um I think that's when we understand that there is a higher power um and 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 I think the closer you are, the closer you are to that higher power. I think then, then the you know the calmer you can be, and and I think the calmer you can be in that situation, the more effective you're going to be in the mission you have to carry out. So for me, it was extremely, extremely important.
4: The, the best way I can describe it is just the the presence of the Holy Spirit in Him among among the Marines, and and also very encouraging encouraging and joyful and that's the dichotomy is that you know where the presence of God is you know there there will be light even in circumstances that are that are devastating I saw him cry with Maureen he's cried with me um so like he never checked his humanity at the door either and that was a great gift that was a great gift
0: when Monsignor Hogan re-entered the Navy as a chaplain in 1985, there were over 200 priests on active duty in the Navy alone. When he retired in 2007, there were 55 priests on active duty for the Navy, Marine Corps, Coast Guard, and Merchant Marines. The military chaplaincy is struggling to recruit, and it's a loss deeply felt by those in the military.
3: I was in, I was in, uh, I was in uh, Washington State. And a friend of mine, who I met in, uh, in Iraq at, uh, at Al-Takadam, uh, he was retiring from the Air Force. So I flew out for his retirement ceremony. And I happened to be con- celebrating at the chapel on base. And, and it was an Air Force base. You know, so a lot of Air Force in the chapel at that mm-hmm. time. But in the back, there were two Marines in their camouflage uniforms and uh the desert camis and uh so very quickly you know that, you know i was attracted there and it was like a a, a bee to the flower you know and uh went over and i said hey devil dogs how you doing so we were talking and all that and uh one of the marines uh she, she said father you know we need priests in, 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 you know to serve with us and i said i know i said I, and I'm, I'm sorry I can't be there with you. And she told the story that when she was in Afghanistan, and she was at a forward operating base, uh, for seven months. And she said, "Sir, I never saw a priest." And uh, and I said, "You know, I'm sorry to see that. I'm sorry to hear that. But uh, but I'm glad I'm glad you're here today. And." Uh, but here's a, here's a young woman that, you know, she would have loved to have seen a priest, would have loved to have had a priest up there with her, even for a visit, but there were no priests available.
0: Catholics make up 20% of all troops, but only 8% of the chaplain corps. While Catholic chaplains in the military numbered in the thousands during World War II, Today there are fewer than 200. Much of this is due to the declining numbers of priests. Because of the richness of our faith and the beauty of the sacraments, the shortage of Catholic chaplains is felt all the more acute. No priest chaplains means no mass or confession. As more and more attention is placed on the invisible wounds soldiers face in war, including PTSD and suicidal ideation, the need for a larger chaplaincy is growing all the more acute. We need a chaplain
2: corps. And I think anybody in the military um, who has truly been in the military and understands um, what we do and how we do it, they would they would be on, they would be with me on that one. I mean, the saying is, right, uh, there's no atheists in foxholes, right? You want to bring people to Christ. And people who are in need, you want to bring them closer to Christ. And, and I would say that, you know, there's people out there that need it you know, at different varying levels, different varying degrees. Well, the people in the military, they needed a little bit more than maybe the regular folks. Chaplain was always, and always is a great resource. Significantly impacted my faith life. It, it allowed me to, I mean, just to have a, a stronger faith life and a more intimate relationship with with Christ and with God and understand, the, and, 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 and as I shared with you, and to understand the power of the Holy Spirit. A little bit better, firsthand.
4: You know, the military—we still have an all-volunteer force. So I think about the men and women that that raise their right hand and step forward to serve their country, and they're giving a lot, right? They're giving a lot for um, for frankly an unknown future. You know, when I—I remember when I um, made the commitment to join the Marine Corps. Um, This actually was before 9-11. So I had no idea what was in our path. And so, you know, having the opportunity to send priests into an environment where young men and women are willing to serve something greater than themselves is a a profound opportunity um, to direct them, to guide them, and support them Uh, and finding the greatest person they will ever serve and give their life to, which is Christ. And especially now, there are countless service members who have never heard the gospel. Never. But the military especially, that needs to be a place guided by the Holy Spirit because we're entrusted with something so great as protecting a nation and really, life and death is always in the balance. And so, um, you know, I I would just say that their impact is tremendous.
0: Detroit Stories is a production of Detroit Catholic and the Communications Department of the Archdiocese of Detroit. Find us on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thinking about the probability of dying is something that none of us wants to face, no matter what we do all of us will pass away one day. Preparing now is a great way to help our loved ones during their grieving process and ensure our final wishes are followed. Our caring friends at the Catholic Funeral and Cemetery Services can help you. Visit cfcsdetroit.org or call 734-285-2155.